Those who are careful about what they say keep themselves out of trouble. Okay, that's a good one. Today, um, if you brought your Bible, you can start um, turning. It's about the middle. We're going to be in mostly in the book of Proverbs today, which is almost the middle of the Bible physically, um, in case you need a little help finding it. And today, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about something, and it's really going to be for all married people. But in addition to that, today's message is going to be for people who hope someday to be married. And it's going to be for people who have been married before, and if you ever get married again, you want to f- try to follow God's word because you want it to work out differently the next time. Or today's message is for anybody here who has anyone in your family who's married, and for anyone who can spell the word marriage, and you can't spell the word marriage, it's for everybody. Um, you know, this, it's, 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 it's for everyone. Nobody ever plans to get married so that they can get divorced. Nobody thinks that way. No, nobody, you know, they walk and they talk and they share their dreams and their plan, and it's not in the back of their mind. They're thinking, okay, we're going to do these things, and then we're going to get divorced. That's just not there. And, and, and I, I don't think that anybody makes plans to have joy and happiness for a season behind, and then followed by a, a time to have their hearts broken. Nobody plans that. But still... Statistics say that over 50% of people, those those same people who talk and love and plan, they will still somehow end up in divorce. And even the the couples who don't divorce, sadly, some of them too feel a sense that, you know, where's the blessing that I was hoping was going to happen in this? The, The message today for us is the wise family protects their marriage. And I think about that, how important that is because of how hostile our culture is to the institution of marriage. It's really abrasive against the institution. I mean, our government has laws that, that in some ways undermine it, in fact, redefine it and devalue marriage in my mind. Our, our entertainment culture attacks it, opposes it. In some cases, it actually ridicules traditional marriage. And... The scriptures teach us that Satan goes as a roaring lion, seeking marriages to devour, whom he can devour. The wise family protects their marriage. Now, I want to say this, and um, I've said this a couple of times. I've been here now for a little over four years. When I come here with a message, they are never, ever, 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 ever aimed at any person. I don't have any of you in my mind or in my heart. This series was something the Lord put on my heart last February. I've been planning on it. It's pent up. But this is not because I've watched something in any person's life and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to let them have it from the pulpit. That's not the right way to handle this office. And it's not in my heart to do that. So, so please don't let hell, don't let that lie land, okay? And um, I also want to say this too. I know that as we talk about protecting your marriage that people in this room and people who will hear this message on on the internet or by recordings will um will be talking about something that is absolutely tearing their heart apart because their marriage right now has failed or is failing or something's going on there and i want to be really sensitive to that and and say that in the middle of that pain don't lose hope do not lose hope in something that god has blessed do not lose hope um, just let the Holy Spirit do that. But I also want to invite the King's presence and um, his spirit to circulate among us. Would you just agree with me in prayer? 
God, I pray that you would touch and comfort people today. And, and I thank you, God, for the privilege that we have to have your word in front of us that we can learn from it, Lord. That, and that, Lord, there will be things that we talk about today that can only be spiritually discerned. They cannot be intellectually understood. They just somehow become um, just chaff to people who don't have, have your spirit to guide us. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, for the faith to be present for people, to see the truth and to believe in our hearts the things that you would have a passion about us, that you would stir in us a passion for the sanctity of marriage, that you would stir in us your, you, the priority that you place for in, in, in your kingdom for the welfare and happiness of, of every person, but just for mankind as well. And Lord, that we would somehow devote ourselves properly, properly and appropriately, Lord, to uh, what you desire. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're uh, partway through a series about uh, building successful families. We started talking about the foolish family, and then last week we talked about embracing authority. And uh, next week we're going to talk about the wise family trains their children. That'll be interesting. And, um, and then at future dates we're going to talk about juggling resources, and we're going to talk about conflict, and we're going to talk about effort, things like that. So, so we're in the middle of something, and I just encourage you, especially if you desire to have a successful family, that you, that you invest yourself and be here to hear what the Lord has to say over the next several weeks especially. Okay, so um, I, I, I've, I, I had some, you know, I've had some plans on this for a long time, but this last week I went through the entire book of Proverbs a couple of times. I mean, I've read it lots of times in my life. I love, you know, I love Proverbs, and, and, um, and I went through there. And, um, you know, you can take the verses in there that talk about marriage and put them down into different categories. I mean, if you want to be a total nerd about it, you can do some pretty cool things. And um, so I've got um, a whole lot of scriptures for you today from Proverbs, and I'm, I have found what I think are six ways for us to protect our marriage. And so hope you have your Bible, and you're going to do a lot of flipping, and I'll help you out up on the screens as well. The first way to protect your marriage, number one, is to make it your first priority. Make it your first priority. Um, Proverbs 13.10 says, By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Protect your marriage by making it your first priority. That word in there, insolence, you know, I don't know what translations you have. There's lots, I have, uh, have parallel Bible when I'm studying, and uh, there are lots of different words that are stuck in there by different translators. The word pride, maybe you have, uh, if you have an NASB, you might have the word presumption or, or, or arrogance, that, that presumption. I mean, by insolence comes nothing but strife. By pride comes nothing but strife. By arrogance, by presumption comes nothing but strife. And that word, that, that, that word there is, the Hebrew word there has the idea of this blind assertion about things. This arrogant attitude this prideful demeanor, this presumption, just plain presumption. And if you've already started to say to yourself, well, my marriage is fine. Why don't you just do your thing, Pastor Terry, but just leave well enough alone? You know, just, you know, that's presumption. I mean, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Um, you know, I, it always seems to sort itself out. I've dodged my bullets and somehow things just work out. That scripture says, through presumption comes nothing but strife. You don't have a good marriage because you say you have one. You don't have a good marriage because you want one. You don't have a good marriage because you know how to make it. You only have a good marriage for one reason. Because you 
work at it. Help me out. I mean, that's where I'm going. What am I trying to say? I'm saying, you know, you can't have a very decent lawn unless you work at it. You can't finish the kitchen project unless you work at it. You, you can't balance your checkbook unless you work at it. You can't, can't get your finances under control unless you put some effort and some work into it. A good marriage takes work. You have to work at it. I mean, you can probably, you probably have friends or somewhere in your circle, you have people you know and you look at them and they've got a marriage that looks really good. Maybe they've been married 10 or 20 years or some period of time. And, and you look at them and you say, you know, this couple, they've got something going on. The way he looks at her, the way he touches her, the way she touches him, they got a, they're so lucky. Don't go there. Luck has nothing to do with it. It's not about winning the lottery. <laughs> it's not luck that makes it work. A good, a good marriage takes work. work. Thank you. Work. Good marriage takes work. Protect your marriage by making it your first priority. Proverbs fifteen seventeen says, "Better is a dinner of herbs where love is." What's for dinner tonight, honey? Mushroom soup. That's nasty. <laughs> but it's not as nasty as dinner with the, a fatted ox with hatred with it. You know, the happiness of your home has nothing to do with what's on the dinner table. <laughs> is that true or false? It's true, right? Okay. I mean, okay. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted ox with, and hatred with it. Wow. It's not about putting food on the table. It's about love. It's not about buying. It's not about building. It's not about better. It's about love. And more, you know, more isn't bad. But more without a happy marriage is less. It's a lot less. One of my favorite verses that um, I will share at wedding rehearsals, and I say this to, to the grooms that I, that I do weddings for, is Proverbs 18.20, He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is God's idea. God's provision uh, for what a woman needs is a man. And God's provision, the word provision, God's provision for what a man needs is a woman. God established and sanctified marriage for the happiness and the well-being of you and for mankind. Now, because of that, I want to say something, and I've wor- written my words very carefully here so that this can't be misconstrued. So listen carefully to th- this comment. All attempts to erase role distinction based on gender, all, all attempts to erase the significant and complementary differences between men and women, all argumentative gymnastics in an attempt to dumb down the very clearly said things from the word of God, no matter how well-meaning, are an affront to the infinite wisdom and the creative genius of Almighty God. God created men and women equal. Everybody say the word equal. Equal. What are men and women? Equal. Okay. But they're not the same. And it's okay. I got a pair of shoes. They're equal. I'm glad they're not the same. I got a left foot and a right foot. I need a left shoe and a right shoe. Or it's dopey. Something's wrong. I'm turning a corner all the time. I don't know. Men and women are equal. But they're not the same. 
They're different. And they're just not interchangeable. Or you just put on whatever shoe you grabbed on your left foot. They're just not interchangeable. One man, one woman. That's God designed. That's the institution of marriage. There's a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You may have heard of him. He was a pretty famous... Uh, he was a Lutheran pastor in Germany. And uh, he was executed just a week or two before uh, Hitler committed suicide. So he, 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 was, he was imprisoned and was hanged basically because he stood publicly against what was being done to the, the Jews at the time. And uh, Lutheran pastor, and here's something he said, he's quoted as saying about marriage. Marriage is more than your love for each other. It has a higher dignity and power, for marriage is God's holy ordinance. As high as God is above man, so high is the sanctity of marriage above the sanctity and promises of personal love. It's not your love that sustains the marriage, but from now on, it is the marriage that sustains your love for one another. Marriage is an institution holy and ordained by God. It's worthy of your absolute very best efforts and your highest pursuits. Protect your marriage. First thing is make it your first priority. The second thing to protect your marriage is to acknowledge your sinful bent. What's that mean exactly? Well, my hair's gotten shorter recently because I just kind of got tired of dealing with cow licks. You ever had a cow lick? A cow lick is an untamable patch. It will not go where it's told to go. For my entire life, this whole front of my head has been... And still is the breeding ground of cowlicks. I don't know why they're called cowlicks. I'm, you know, as my hair's gotten shorter, I started noticing it's getting thinner too. And now I realize. I remembered as a little boy, I rode my bicycle into a car and I took a real thump on the head. I think I might have had a concussion. And now the hair goes where it wants. It won't go where I tell it to go. And I finally said, "Fine, you're not going to go where you want. You're out of here." It's a, it's a short haircut. It's like, it's it's like. A stubborn pony that's just not going to be broken. It's like we have a bent. It's like when you ride your bicycle going too fast and you hit the curb. And all of a sudden it's not round. It's round and then there's this little notch. It's bent. Human nature is bent. There are things about us that just kind of don't want to work right, don't really want to require that. And men and and women have their bent, but they're a little bit different from each other. Okay? So... If you feel picked on, if your gender feels picked on, hold on, because the other gender will get it too. Just, just be patient with me. But of course, being the gentleman that I am, ladies are going to go first, right? Okay? <laughs> so, ladies, now these are generalities, but I'm just going to use the scriptures and let the scriptures speak, okay? So, um, ladies, you get to go first. Here's the bent. Women tend to nag their husbands. Did you know that? Somebody just said, I'm out of here. Okay. Was it my wife? Oh, no, she's still here. Okay. Okay. Proverbs 27, 15. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Wow. Okay, so here's the typical house in the time the scripture's written. Quick, Terry, change the subject. Um, they would have a stacked stone walls, and then the roof would be made out of this combination of sticks and mud, basically. And they would have rainy seasons in the springtime and in the fall. And, um, and the roof would leak because it's stick and mud. And the mud and the stick and the water would dissolve. The, you know. And so if it starts leaking, what you do is you get up there, you climb up on the roof, and you work at it, and you patch it, and you get back in the house, and it's still leaking. 
And so you got to go back up there again, and you go up and you deal with it, and pretty soon you'd be glad that the rainy season would end because drip, drip, drip. The roof just would continually drip. Continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. One, one scripture, another translation says, it's better to live on the corner of the roof. Never mind, I'm not going to go anymore in that scripture. Okay. <laughs> Quarrelsome, this word quarrelsome in here means strife. The word means a contention for control. She wants things her way, and she will not stop until she gets it. Notice verse 16. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Tell me, can you restrain the wind? I haven't figured that out. I mean, um, and grabbing oil with your hand, I mean, this is obvious. Can you, can you do those things? No, you cannot. Can you grasp oil in your hand? Can a nagging wife be silenced? No, she cannot. And if you're not a woman of words, maybe you're a woman of looks or avoidances. There are lots of ways to send a nagging message. And you say, okay, Terry, come on, what's the big deal? Could you move on, please? I get it, okay. (laughs) Proverbs 12, verse 4 says... An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. You know, notice that it's a crown. I mean, the most valuable kind of ornament that could be worn was this, this announcement of royalty and office and station. An excellent wife is a crown. Wow, it doesn't get any better. This valued symbol. But she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. The shame to a man is devastating. It's painful. It's terminal. It's, it's, it's this, and this word rottenness, is the word is used to describe wood that's rotted from the inside. It has no strength in it. It has no ability to support anything. There's this uh, author named Shanti Feldhan, and, and some of you may have written a book that she's, she's written lots of them, but she, one of them that she's written is called For Women Only. And... Um, and uh, in, in preparing to write this book, she surveyed men, and about a thousand men, and she asked them a bunch of impossible questions. And, he, and one of the questions she asked these guys is, okay, you have to pick between one of these two. Would you rather feel alone and unloved, alone and unloved, or inadequate and disrespected? So, can I have another choice besides one of those two? I mean, I mean... That's like asking, that's your mother says, would you like cabbage or broccoli? (laughs) No. (laughs) Something different, you know? Okay, so would you rather feel alone and unloved in our world or feel inadequate and disrespected? 74% of the men, a vast majority said they would rather feel alone and unloved than be disrespected. But they made comments too. Many men had difficulty answering this question because they couldn't see the two as being any different. To be disrespected to most men is to be unloved. That's how we're wired, ladies. It's just the way men are wired. Respect is our deal. So if you give me the choice, I'm going to pick alone and unloved over disrespect every day of the week. However, disrespect is alone and unloved to me. I'm confused by the question. It's just the way us guys are wired. Women tend to nag their husbands. Men, your turn. Men. Okay. 
All right, women, stop gloating, okay? Okay. Men. Men tend to neglect their wives. There's a lot about nagging in Proverbs, but believe me, there's a lot more about men neglecting their wives in Proverbs, a whole bunch more. Proverbs 27, 8. I mean, here's one I picked. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Nagging is pretty easy to identify. I mean, you can see it. You, know, you, you see it out there for what it is. But neglect can be a lot more subtle. And I'm sorry to say this about us guys. And I'm saying this to you guys as a fellow. You know, I'm not turning my man card or anything. I'm not betraying you. But the truth is the truth. We can be a little hard-headed about things. We can be. So to help us guys get this, I'm going to give you five things to help you know if you're neglecting your wife. Five things to know you're neglecting your wife. And here's a little tip for you guys. This is a freebie. You should take note of this, especially if you're sitting next to your wife. Because believe me, she's noting whether you're taking note, okay? You don't have to physically write them down, but take notes. Pay attention to this because she's noting whether you're doing that. You know you're neglecting your wife when, one, you give one-word answers to heartfelt questions. <laughs> you're groaning going on. Be quiet, guys. Don't bu- get busted right now. This is not the time. Okay. You give one-word answers to heartfelt questions. She's trying to get to know you. She's trying to understand you. She asks a question, and the answer demands to be a paragraph, and you give her a good, fine, one word. That's neglect. That's a form of neglect. Second thing, you know you're neglecting your wife when you hide your feelings. You only give the facts. You know, you're this, this fortress. Nobody's going to get inside there to find out how you feel about the children or your job or the finances. Nobody's going to get in there and find out what's going on in there. You guard and protect yourself. But while you're guarding and protecting yourself, you're failing to guard and protect your marriage. When you hide your feelings from your wife, you're neglecting your wife. Three, when you're neglect, you know you're neglecting your wife when you refuse to schedule one-on-one time. Okay? When can we get some time for ourselves? Can we go out just for a day and night next Thursday? Well, we'll see. I don't know. See how I feel then. <laughs> when she comes and says, can we have some time to ourselves? The answer is yes. Yes. The answer is yes. Okay? Oh, man. I mean, you write it down on your calendar, you set it a priority, and you make a plan. Give her what she's righteously desiring, and that's relationship and time. Give it to her, guys. Okay, you know you're neglecting your wife when for you do things that are hurtful, and you're not even grieved or sorry about it. Well, I've always been that way. <laughs> I do that stuff all the time, and she's fine. She'll get over it. And it doesn't even bother you anymore. It's, it's, it's hurtful. It's devastating to her. You're neglecting your wife. Stop it, guys. Stop that. No, you know you're neglecting your wife when five. This is the last one, guys, so we're almost done. When she's not your first choice for good news, something really good happens, and you call your mom. Sorry, mom, but I need to call Lisa first. You call your mom. And your wife has to hear about this from your sister. Ladies, am I telling the truth here? You don't want to hear this kind of stuff from the grapevine. Don't you want to hear this from your man? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I don't know what that's all about. Guys, we're talking about here your lifetime partner. She deserves 
to be the first person that you can't wait to tell when you've got something good going on in your life, your lifetime partner. So, solving these problems starts with acknowledging that we have a problem. Can you admit your sinful bent? There needs to be this loving grace involved because this is hard for her, guys. This is hard for him, ladies. We're bent. Protect your marriage, number three, by this. Replace nagging words with words of kindness. This isn't just about stopping the wrong message. This is about sending the right message. Proverbs 15, 23, I'm going to need two translations. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. The New Living says it like this. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It's wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. I'd suggest, ladies, that that one of the ways that you could work on this is you would consider adjusting the decision grid you use about when to make comments. Okay, but, you know, I mean, for example, you might be thinking, well, I'm going to say it because it's true. Okay, it's true, but is it helpful for you to make that comment? I mean, there are several scriptures, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 6, and... and um, Romans 14, 19, and Romans 15, 2. I'm not going to take time on those. But they teach a principle that basically tell us that, that all things are, are, are lawful, but are they profitable? Are they helpful? Do they build people up? Are they beneficial? Um, you know, like I said, well, I, I, I'm going to say it because it feels good to say it. Because he deserves it. Because he won't hear it from anybody else but me. But does it help? I suggest that those aren't always the best decision-making grids for choosing what to say. Okay, so Terry, um, Mr. Smart Guy, do you have anything positive to tell us how to make this? Yeah, i got a couple suggestions for you. Thanks for asking. Okay. One, can I say it kindly now? Can I do it? If, I, if I'm going to do it now, can it, can it, can, will it come out kindly? It's a great standard. If you're not convinced that, that kindness and love are what are driving it out of your mouth, then hold it for a while till you can. Another one, can he hear me now? Is he ready? Is he ready to hear this now? Third one, can he handle it now? Because words have a weight to them. They do. Choose the right words, choose the right time. An apt answer is joy to a man. An apt answer is joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. Proverbs sixteen twenty four. gracious words are like honeycomb. Notice that doesn't say broccoli. I just want to make that point, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, I'm just going to start saying something about four-legged animals, and I thought I'm just going to get in deeper trouble. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. I did a little research because I like honey. Do you like honey? It's sweet, tastes good. Um, it, 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 there are some studies that say it helps treat allergies, um, it's high in energy because it's pure carbohydrates almost. <laughs> you know. But it contains vitamin B6, niacin, riboflavin, calcium. I'm reading a list. Copper, iron, magnesium. The list goes on. It contains a lot of stuff that's good for you. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words are sweetness to the soul. They're pleasant. They're enjoyable. They're satisfying. Gracious words are also health to the body. They're good for you. Make a few meals out of gracious words at your house. Try that. I wonder how many people, I mean, there's no way to know this for certain, but I wonder how many people have physical illness. They're sick, physically sick, because of strife and animosity and 
things that are tearing apart in their family. We need more gracious words. I need, you need, we need more gracious words in our life. Now, what are some gracious words? I'm going to give you a couple of specific examples of gracious words to help your marriage. A word of regret. Some of you just need to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Or a word of confession. You know, I was wrong. Forgive me. And you be specific. Or a word of affection. This is where you take your partner in your arms and you lift up his or her chin and look him in the eye and say, I love you. I'm going to always love you. A word of hope. I'm going to try better. I'm going to do better. I kind of need your help with this. Word of hope. Or another one. A word of commitment. I'm here for you. And that's not going to change. You don't have to look over your shoulder all the time. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold, settings of silver, Proverbs 25, 11. And I know that some of you in your, in your mind right now, there's this wrestling match going, going on. You know, Terry, if you knew how tough this was, if you knew what was going on in my life right now, and I just want to be very clear about something. First of all, I'm not asking you to do this. Who's asking you? It's God. God is the one that's asking you to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm just pointing out and reviewing with you what God's word has shown us is the pathway to life and peace. What is the pathway to put you where he, he can bless you? I'm not asking you to do anything other than to do your own part, be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. Deal with your sinful bent and let God deal with his sinful bent. Men, your turn. Four. Ways to protect your marriage. Think about your wife. Now, catch these words. With singular focused delight. Singular focused delight. I've had been in ministry long enough to that I've been involved in a lot of men's retreats, helped lead a lot of men's retreats. And um, over the years, um, I, we would do surveys. We just asked men questions because we thought, well, you know, what do you want to learn about? What's going on in your life? And, and the surveys would tend to come back with pretty much the same kind of answers year after year after year. I mean, the patterns didn't change. And one of the questions that we asked them was, men, what are the major issues in your life? What are the challenges that are really you know, hardest for you? What do you wrestle and struggle with? And um, here are what came up as the top three, time after time after time, the major issues in a man's life. This is the third. Okay, I'm going to work down to what is the biggest difficulty. But starting with the third biggest difficulty there was always this split, this challenge between his work and his spiritual life. They seemed to be in conflict. So there was a struggle there. Second one that men struggle with is their roles in the home. Role to be a father, to be a husband, to be this and to be that. Just I struggle, I, I, I'm, I don't feel like I do well in my roles. That was the thing. And the number one most difficult place for men to have victory was the area of sexuality. Sexuality in his body and in his mind. And it's no surprise then why Solomon would spend so much time and attention on that topic in that, that area. Proverbs 6, verses 27 to 33. Now, these are going to be rhetorical questions. There's not, it's, it's an, a rhetorical question is one that you don't have to answer because the answer is obvious. Okay, so, but we're going to read it anyway. Proverbs 6, starting in verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned. I don't know. I don't think so. (laughs) 
Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife, goes into his neighbor's wife. They're not talking about stopping by for coffee. Okay, you're with me, right? None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. Contrast, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. Three years later, five years later, 15 years later, 25 years later, people that knew you then will have forgiven you, but they'll remember. It just doesn't go away. It's this that in those moments where you flush away the things that value the most, for what? Proverbs 5, 25, verse 20 and 23. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of, her, of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he, God ponders, God ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Now, what a warning. So... Pastor Terry, we're, how can I reverse the effects of neglect and unfaithfulness? I mean, that's a great question. And I hope men are asking that they need to ask that. By the way, men, there are a lot of forms of unfaithfulness and neglect in a marriage, not just sexual. There's mental unfaithfulness. You know, faithful to my wife with my body, but not with my mind. There's emotional Unfaithfulness, where you're distant and you're removed and you're shut down and isolated. You're not sharing. You're not doing life together. There's financial unfaithfulness. You know, you look at the resources that come into the home as yours and you make the decisions and your wife deals with the crumbs that fall from the table. And that's not partnership. That's not equality. There's verbal unfaithfulness, you know. You talk about your wife when she's not around. If we were to get together the five guys you work with close enough at work and, and ask them, what, what would they say you think about your wife? be interesting to hear. What they, I mean, that's verbal unfaithfulness. So how can you reverse these effects? I've got some good news here for you. So we get, get, get to this. So, so we're going to stay in that same chapter of Proverbs and we're just back up to verse 15. And we're going to see four words here to help us guys accelerate faithfulness in our marriage. Four words that are going to help us out here. Drink water, versus Proverbs 5.15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Do I need to break that down, what that means, guys? I mean, I, I think, yes. <laughs> okay, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and here is the word for you that this is telling you. It's telling you singularity. One man, one woman, for a lifetime. Singularity. Keep going. Verse 16. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Let, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. And here's the word. Exclusivity. So singularity is a focus on one specific person. Exclusivity means not for anyone else. Probably the same coin, both sides of that same coin. Proverbs 5, continuing verse 18 to 19. 
Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. The word here is fervency. You need to be fired up about your spouse. Give all of your affection, all of your energy, all of your attention to her, to that person. And you're going to find, if you do that, that the flames of romance are going to get burning into a bonfire. It'll happen. Singularity, exclusivity, fervency. And here's the last one to finish in verse 19. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. I know we're a little graphic there. Be intoxicated always in her love. Anybody have a question about the phrase all times or always? The last word here for this is frequency. Frequency. Well, how often are we talking about? I'm not going to answer that question, but I'm just going to make a couple of comments about it and say this. When intimacy in marriage is easy and, and, and natural and mutual, it produces joy. It's joy-producing. But when it's pressured and demanding and selfish, it's devastating. Now, some combination of nagging and neglecting turns into this axe, which is chopping at the root and it can chop at the roots of a marriage. Now, this moment in this, this discussion is where we would naturally want to start talking about the chicken and the egg conversation. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken or the egg? And you can go there, but I would just say that spending any time or much time on that is just kind of foolishness. Because we'll just go around and around and around, and we won't get anywhere. But here's wisdom. Instead of what came first, you say, what can I do? What's my part? Ultimately, I answer to God, right? We all answer to God. And, and this person is the person that God has given to me to be my partner for my lifetime. So I'm going to do my part, and then I'm going to trust God to do his part. And God's part will be to soften and to change that heart. Not my role. That's God's part to change and to soften that heart. Listen, I have seen that work over and over and over again. When people will take their hands off of their partner's heart and say, God, what do you want me to be? What shall I do? Instead of me so much trying to change my husband, change my wife, what do you want me to be? I'm going to trust you, Lord, with him or with her. I've seen God jump into that with both hands, both feet, And I've seen it happen over and over and over again. Frankly, you don't have any choice. You can hammer away and make no progress. In fact, you'll make it worse. You won't fix it. Or you can be a faith-filled child, son or daughter of the king, and say, I'm going to follow you, Lord, and trust you. My heart is breaking, and I need you to get in here. And then watch God go to work and bless Proverbs 15.33 says, Humility comes before honor. So I'm going to now gonna get a little lopsided in this conversation and say, you know, if you want to have the discussion, who goes first? Men, you want to be a leader in your home, you've got to man up. You go first. Lady, I didn't just give you a blank check to not go. But guys, you give that woman the same kind of attention you were giving her when you were wooing her. (laughs) Get back to that. 
And I'm telling you, her heart's going to come running back. It will. Protect your marriage by reversing neglect with singular focused delight. Two more. We're just about done. In fact, I'm going to move along to get us done. Protect your marriage by five. Rally during times of adversity. Rally during times of adversity. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Protect your marriage by rallying at times of adversity. You know, some marriages get obliterated when bad stuff happens. I mean, financial crisis comes along, kaboom. You know, health crisis, explosion. Problems with the in-laws, kaboom. You know, adversity really shows what's real. It, it, it just, you know... It can either drive people together or blow them apart. Um, You know, it's shocking when someone who's been married for decades splits up, and um, it happens in public. And there were a couple of a couple of them a few years ago. And I I don't like to use public figures for negative examples, but I, I I think this will make a case. And I'm not down on these people, and I'm not nor am I judging them. I'm brokenhearted about this. In 2010, word came out that Al and Tipper Gore were going to get divorced. They'd been married for 40 years. I don't want that for them. And it shocked me. And then a year or so later, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Maria Shriver, who'd been married for over 25 years, I think. And I'm thinking, you know, that's been to me this, this challenging marriage because you got Arnold, who is a Republican, and Maria Shriver, who is actually a Kennedy a Democrat. Okay. That had to be interesting dinner table conversations, don't you think? You, know, you have to think, there had to have been some adversity there. I don't know. Same thing with, I mean, every, every couple has, has adversity. Schwarzenegger, being a very public person, was interviewed at times, you know. To what do you attribute your success? And he had this short answer that he gave frequently. <laughs> My success, how to, be, how to succeed. Come to America and marry a Kennedy. <laughs> I'm sure he meant that to be cute. But it betrays this sense that you don't have to be prepared for adversity. You don't have to work at a marriage. I'm not down on Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love the movies. Arnold. The bridge is out. You know, that's, that's terrible. Um, that's horrible. I'm sorry. You, I know you could do a better imitation. My point, though... Isn't to be down on these four people. I'm brokenhearted that they would be married for a combined over between 65 and 70 years and then stop. It's heartbreaking to watch that. And adversity does that if you don't prepare and choose to rally when it comes. God's design, when that adversity shows up in your marriage, instead of driving you apart, He wants something to well up in your soul. It says, I was born for this, I'm going to stand by my man. It's not the time to say, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you now. That's not love. Because love overcomes. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Protect your marriage by rallying in time of crisis. The last one, protect your marriage by living in the present. Protect your marriage Live in the present, don't live in the past. And I, I know that right now, maybe some of you are even 
right this day, you're carrying around things with you. You've got this little, like a little sack over your shoulder, or maybe you've got this little cart you drag behind, or maybe you've got a big old U-Haul trailer hooked up to the back of your car, and you know, you're carrying around, and that it's filled in all the stuff in the past, the things that he didn't do, or the things that she said. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And some of you may have been focused on all the little things that need to be different. And it's been a tailspin for you ever since. Good sense makes one slow to anger. It's his glory to overlook an offense. And the last verse is Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Don't stir up strife in your home. Love covers all offenses. Love does that. It overlooks the offenses. Now, by the way, it would be a misreading of this scripture and the words in this scripture to conclude that love excuses transgressions of the law, that it somehow excuses abuse or destructive behavior. That's not what the scripture is saying. Elsewhere in the Song of Solomon, though, Solomon makes this comment. He says, it's the little foxes that get in and spoil. Love covers all of those little personality defects and flaws and failures and bad habits. Protect your marriage by making it your first priority. Acknowledge your sinful bent. Replace nagging words with words of kindness. Reverse neglect with singular focused delight. Rally during adversity and live in the present. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for grace that we need, Lord. Grace to keep on loving where it's difficult. Forgive us, God, when... The shortcomings of our partner have become our focus, God. And, and I, I forgive us, Lord, when we need to be nudged by you so that we can do our part. Lord, I want to pray first category for people whose marriage is doing well. They're not perfect, but they're trying to do the things that we're talking about. And they're experiencing the blessing, Lord, that comes from the, their obedience to your ways. God, confirm that obedience um, and that your plan and that you bless and cause their love to flourish and to grow, I pray. God, for people who are hurting in their marriage, they're struggling, they're, they're feeling defeated, God, I, I, and they're wondering, God, what can I do about this? I, I just pray, Lord, for extra grace there because it's hard to keep loving when that love isn't returned. I want to pray, Lord, for married people who are sitting here alone today wishing their spouse was here sitting with them. They feel alone, but God, I just hope you would just help them know they're not alone. You're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I pray for people that, who are apart right now in their marriage that maybe your spirit, Lord, would begin to do this, this miraculous work of restoration. And I pray, Lord, also too for people who are single in, in this context and, and they're contemplating marriage maybe sometime in the future. I, I just pray, Lord, that you'll help them not to lower their standards or make excuses for somebody, but instead only to hold out for your highest and your best what it is that you plan to do to bless. I know there are people in this room that are thinking those kinds of things, and I ask God for you to guide them in those ways. You are so faithful, so loving, and your plan for us is abundant love and blessing and that joy. I pray and I ask God that that we would walk into that in the name of Jesus. 